beautiful, rainy Thursday in the Pacific Northwest. I am ready for some summertime shine, I'll tell you what. Uh, but I'm also ready for some banging UFC fights because every weekend it seems like the cards have amazing must-see fights. We also are in the midst of NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. You gotta love it. The abs with the sweep, we'll talk about that. We got some baseball action. I'm still rocking my Angels jersey. They're red fucking hot. You know, there's always a lot to talk about when it comes to the sports world and here at Business and Buckets. But before we talk sports, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, and that is Fueled Supplements. So do you guys have trouble sleeping? Do you wake up groggy, not feeling like you've even rested? Do you toss and turn at night? If so, it's time to get knocked out. It's back. The market's leading advanced sleep and recovery formula knocked out is now in stock with the facelift. Two new flavors and an improved ingredient profile. Experience an unreal night's rest with an all-in-one sleep formula, superior recovery, muscle repair, pain relief, and anti-inflammation. You could fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and waking, wake up feeling more refreshed. You can also regulate depressive and sedative actions critical for relaxation. It decreases stress and anxiety, manages cortisol and adrenaline reset, and increases growth hormone production. Two delicious flavors to suit your taste buds. Watch your sleep improve, mood improve, productivity improve, and your life improved with Knocked Out. You guys can save some cheddar when you're buying. Go to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKET. Buck it's with an S B U C K E T S for 15% off all products. And again, you guys find yourself being a supplement purchaser and you're tuning in. Check out the small businesses. That's what it's all about. Quit helping the massive corporations make some more money. GNC is cool and all, but Fueled Supplements has you covered. You heard it here. You'll hear it again. Check them out. So in the wake of being an MMA-only podcast here in in the near future, we're always starting the show with MMA, with UFC, getting a little bit broader in my MMA reach, uh, trying to tune in, trying to see what's going on. But we are on the hills of a massive, massive UFC 274 card. What a show it was. A little bit disappointing, but still what a show it was. And we have a long list of announced fights. The UFC is not stopping. Summertime is going to be crazy. I secured my UFC 276 tickets in the bag. The Dirty 30, it's going down for the squad that's coming. Can't wait. Can't wait. If you haven't watched the UFC live, must see. I mean, you see the energy in different arenas. I've only been to T-Mobile. I haven't done hardcore drugs, but they always talk about the hard crash after, you know, uh, just, you know, you big trip, you got that dopamine crash, you take some drugs, you got a dopamine crash. Going to a UFC event, man, I crash like none other after that. I'm, I'm feeding for that feeling again. This will be my third live UFC. If you're going to be there, hit me up. We'll be there. We'll have some drinks. We'll celebrate Max Holloway trilogy. Let's go. Super Saiyan Max. We got the Sugar Show back in action. I got some new merch from the Sugar Show. Going to be representing. It's going to be fun. UFC tickets technically for 276 on sale tomorrow. If you're trying to join the party, I did a little pre-sale today. Got a got them secured before the prices went up. But regardless, 
What a slate of fights announced. You know, after the leakage from the Pivot podcast, I figured there'd be a ton more fights or not a ton of more fight announcements outside of what we saw on the board. But that's not the case whatsoever. We have Brian Ortega taking on Yair Rodriguez. What a fucking fight that's going to be. Each fighter been leveling up. Uh, those guys are must-see TV no matter who they fight. The, the idea of them fighting together, though, is going to be a ton of fun. We got Marab Deshfili taking on Corey Sanhagen in the bantamweight division. That's going to be a banger of a fight. We have Cody Garbrandt taking on some guy I've never even heard of, and maybe that's on me. But that's where Cody Garbrandt is these days. He's taking on Ronnie Yaya at bantamweight. So apparently he's done with the flyweight division. Kaikara France put him to sleep, said get the fuck out. He's back at bantamweight. Ooh, this one's going to be good. Puna Healy Soriano versus Dolce Lungimbula. We have Tiago Santos versus Jamal Hill, which will be a five-round headliner. Highly doubt that last five rounds, but you never know. We have Rafael Dos Anjos taking on Rafael Faziv. That is rebooked after the issue that had happened recently. Clearly, we got the Holloway Volkanovsky trilogy official happening at UFC 276. I'll be there. Your boy will be there. Uh, we have Armin Cesarian taking on Matuz Gamrot. That's an amazing fight that I did not expect getting announced. Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier, official UFC 276. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's going to be a fun fight. Um, I haven't seen Izzy. I haven't seen Holloway. Two guys I've had. I just, you must see TV. Stoked to be a part of it. Molly McCann taking on Hannah Goldie. She's getting right back into the octagon. We have Cowboy and Joe Lozon, Donald Cerrone, that Cowboy, and Joe Lozon rebooked after what had happened this past weekend. Total bummer. Rebooked for June 18th in Austin, Texas. We have a banger on the women's division. Michelle, the karate hottie, Watterson taking on Amanda Lemos. That's going to be a fucking fun fight. Adrian Yanez versus Tony Kelly. Some depth in the bantamweight taking action. What a banger this is. Paul Craig versus Vulcan Ozdemir. Sheesh, that's going to be fun. Uh, newly announced today, we have Vicente Luque taking on Jeff Neal. That is going to be electric. Terrence McKinney's right back in there taking on Eric Gonzalez. I'm not familiar with him, but you know T-Rex back in the octagon. And then Carlos Fieta versus Dracar Close. That's a must-see fight as well. And finally, Kaikara France is taking on Brandon Moreno for the interim title at UFC 277 as Figgy is out with the hand injury and won't be back any time. So Brandon Moreno you know, could get the, the quadruple fight against Figgy. I actually like that it turns out this way. Put Kaikara France against some winner gets Figgy. Hey, I think that works out. That's perfect in the flyweight division. And then lastly, Cowboy Donald Cerrone. Cerrone announced two more fights left in the UFC. So he'll be fighting Joe Lozon, fighting one more time, and he's calling it a career. Uh, but that Joe Lozon fight is going to be so much fun. Other than that, we have Bellator 280 going on. Ryan Bader versus Chet Congo. This was last Friday early. We have another card tomorrow, early Friday, for Bellator. Uh, but Bellator 280... Basically, we just watched uh, Ryan Bader wrestle Chet Congo the whole time. I'm not surprised. These guys are old. You know, he doesn't want to take any damage. He's trying to continue to win the, the heavyweight championship. 
Bader gets the W. Could have predicted that. We had Yoel Romero versus Alex Polizzi. Never heard of Polizzi, but he hung in there. He hung in for three rounds against Yoel, and Yoel almost destroyed him right at the end of the round three. Um, there's, you know, viral videos of him going in, slapping him around, landing a, a big punch right at the bell. Uh, but it was fun to see Yoel. They already have his next bout for PF or for the Bellator circuit um, booked, I think, for like September. Uh, but that's a, a a a better opponent as this was a short term notice opponent. But Bellator with some action this past weekend. Tomorrow, this is happening in London in the SSE Arena. We have Michael Page taking on Logan Storley and Lyota Machida taking on Fabian Edwards. It's so crazy to me that uh, Lyota Machida is still freaking fighting. I mean. How old is this guy now? Making money in Bellator, though. Why not, right? 43 years old. Whew. Um, I don't know these guys that they are fighting. Logan Storley's 13-1. and one. Let's see if there's anybody worthy that he's fought. For, for In my terms, I guess. Wrestling background. He beat Joaquin Buckley in Bellator, so... Decent fighter. We'll see how that goes, but more Bellator action next week. I'll take Michael Page and Leota because why the fuck not? We also had um, last, I want to say, it was, yeah, last Friday, uh, some PFL action. Kayla Harris defeated Marina Moktankina, if I said that right. But Kayla won. I honestly wasn't very impressed. She just kind of wrestled her, grinded her to the cage, didn't have any big exchanges. You know, her, her re-signing with PFL, talking all the smack, I want to see some dominant performances. I just still, you know, I think I want to give her all the credibility where credibilities do, but could she actually step into the UFC octagon and take on uh, Amanda Nunez? Could she even take on Juliana Pena? After that fight, I'm skeptical. I'll give her benefit of the doubt. Can't wait to see her next performance. Uh, but I expect more from Kayla. You could tell on Twitter she wasn't very pleased herself. But, hey, a win's a win. It is what it is. <clears throat> That's just the the analyst drama, right? Oh, okay. Well, you didn't look very good. Uh, could you compete? Could you really beat these other high-level women? It doesn't need to be a story, but we'll make it a story. If you don't know, now you know. Uh, Ray Cooper took on Carlos Leal, and Cooper got whooped by the former LFA champion. I thought Ray Cooper still performing at a high level. He got dominated all three rounds. That was a shocker for sure. And then Anthony Pettis and Rory McDonald with slight work. Anthony Pettis finishing Miles Price. And Rory McDonald with the submission against Brett Cooper. X, I'm always rooting for the ex-UFC guys. They're, they're continuing for, through the circuit. You know, Pettis losing his first PFL fight, not taking anyone um, lightly anymore. And then on Saturday, we had the Canelo fight happening during the UFC 274 card. I went to the Emerald Queen Casino in Tacoma. They have the new MGM Sportsbook, big screen. They put the fucking audio on the Canelo fight. The Canelo fight was better than the Rose Namajunas championship fight at least, but uh, it sucked not having any UFC audio, and I just was shocked that Canelo actually lost because you don't see that. Uh, but this was a big feat for him taking on Dimitri Bivol, uh, who clearly looked a lot bigger and used his length the whole fight. You know, Canelo just didn't quite look the same, but he's also taking on a guy that's a lot bigger, and that's that, that's tough to do and move up. He lost pretty heavily in that fight. I thought the judges actually gave him benefit of the doubt, uh, but it was cool seeing Canelo back in the octagon. It'll be interesting to see what he does next. 
But let's talk UFC 274. I went 7-4 and four in my picks on the card. I don't pick every fight. If I don't know shit about them, um, I'm not going to research. If I don't, have never even seen a fighter before, I don't think I have. So I picked 11 fights, went 7-4. and four, um, Did not win any parlays and won enough because I would have hammered Rose on all of them. Right? Um, just like if uh, Canelo wasn't minus 600, I would have been hammering him, would have lost. And then I went Justin Gaethje on majority of them as well, and that did not quite play out. But we'll, we'll start from the early prelims and discuss what had happened, the chaos that happened last Saturday night. So outside of the fights that we talked about, though, there was some nice wins by Journey Newson. That was a good win. I watched that. Lupi Godinez, I thought she would win. Didn't want to talk about the fight. As well as Tracy Cortez winning. Didn't need to talk about the fight, but that was actually a pretty close fight. And then CJ Vergara with a nice victory as well. And um, the main card was supposed to start with uh, Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozon, but it was pulled hours before the event as Cowboy got really bad food poisoning. Dana said after the, the card that supposedly he ate some tacos or something. It's crazy that these fighters, I mean, sure, you want to eat some tacos, but, you know, Cowboy's been in the sport a long time. You spend all this effort and energy. You're towards the end of your career. You make weight camp. You go out and eat some crazy food. Before the fight, you get food poisoning, and it might not even be the food distributor. It could just be your stomach because you went from not eating or barely eating to eating tacos. I'm just surprised. I would wait to eat something like that until after my fight. Uh, but what do I know? You know, I'm just a, a chubby kid here talking sports. But um, it was a total bummer. The UFC is trying, uh, obviously trying to keep that matchup. They rebooked it for Austin, so bravo, because us fans want to see that one. But breaking it down, in the early prelims, Andre Fialho with a first-round knockout over Cameron Van Camp. And this earned performance of the night, and deservedly so. I mean, boy, is Fialho making an impression since coming to the UFC. He landed a massive, I mean, massive right hand, put the lights out right away, and it was pretty early. Just a few exchanges had gone on, and that was it. You know, supposedly after the fight, Dana said that Andre came into his room, said, hey, I would like to fight in this card, this card, or this card. I don't care. I want to fight. And the other matchmaker was like, no, no, he's already fought enough. And Dana's like, no, fuck it. I love when they do that. I'm all about it. And I could relate. I do that with my management and sales. Like, hey, I want this role, this role, this role. What am I doing? What's going on? What's up? Um, but, you know, Dana White loves that he wants to fight as so that soon. He gave him those events. And this would be his third fight in the UFC this year since making his debut. And it's not even summer. So Andre Fialho out there trying to make moves. This fight is not a lot of stats. He landed 17 total and significant with that knockdown. Compared to Cameron's 19 total and significant. Fialho is now on a two-fight winning streak and two-and-one in the UFC. While Cameron's four-fight winning streak comes to an end in his UFC debut. Uh, welcome to the UFC, young blood. I figured that would be too much of, a, a, of an ask for him. That's why I took Fialho. And deservedly so, started my parlay looking good. So what's next? Well, Andre wants a quick turnaround. So how about Alex Murano? I think that would make sense. And for Cameron, how about Jason Witt? And then going into the prelims, we had Blagoy Ivanov with a unanimous decision over Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And boy, was I sweating this one out on my parlay. I took Blagoy. And this was as close of a fight as you can have, really, in my mind. 
Blagoy, for being out for two years, looked pretty solid. He was aggressive. He did his thing. He knew how he had to win, and uh, it wasn't an easy fight to win. Um, Marcos had his moments, but Blagoy controlled the pace. He controlled the middle of the octagon. I agree with the decision, but Marcos was just a few shots away, potentially in that third round, to get the win in my decision. And uh, at the end of the third round, he picks Blagoy up. Which these guys have, I mean... You look at Marcos's fucking quads, man. They are solid, just ham hocks. He picks up Blagoy, who's also fucking solid. At the end of the third round, sits him down for a takedown right at the end of the fight after you feel like they're just so gassed. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I thought that that takedown could have even swayed the fight. Glad it didn't, but he's tough as nails. Blagoy and Marcos, tough as nails. I was surprised that, that Marcos could keep that pace for three rounds because at, at round one, he was fighting with like a, a one-round fucking pace. Blagoy weathered the storm, landed at his own moments, uh, picked his shots, put him against the cage, did some dirty boxing. But yeah, I, I was surprised that both fighters had that much left in them. You know, us stocky guys, you, you don't think that we have that, you know, endurance in us, but we'll dig deep. And these guys dig deep. Uh, Blagoy landed 75 total and 62 significant strikes compared to Marcos's 81 total and 68 significant. He also had that takedown, but Blagoy got right up. Now, Blagoy starts a new winning streak and stays at number 15 in the rankings, while Marcos starts a new losing streak. So what's next? I could see uh, Iganov uh, taking on Walt Harris or Shenmil Abdurakimov. And for Marcus, how about Juan Espino? Those would be great fights either way. Juan and Marcos would be throwing down. Shamil Ivanov, some wrestlers. And Walt Harris uh, is you know on a losing streak, needs to come back. In the flyweights, we had Brandon Radog, Roy Val, with a first-round uh, submission over Matt Schnell. This was fight of the night. And what a wild round one. I mean, Schnell was landing big shots. He knocked down Roy Val. But Radog's been there before. I was even telling my friends because I had Brandon in my parlay. Brandon's been sat down before, found him saw, himself doing some jujitsu and fighting himself with the crazy submission. And he's been there before. You know, the other fighters on top, Schnell's firing away shots, and he's landed submission attempt after submission attempt. And that's what he did here. I mean, he landed a really deep guillotine. I mean, when it's that deep that your neck's right here, you're not getting out of there. And Schnell had no chance. He knew it. Uh, ended up tapping in the first. And my parlay had lived on. I was like, whew, we're, we're on pace. We're on pace. Well, statistically, not a lot happened in here either. Brandon landed 14 total and significant strikes with that submission attempt. And Schnell landed 15 total and 12 of those significant with that knockdown. Royval now is on a two-fight winning streak all in 2022. He moves up one spot in the rankings to number five. While Schnell is technically on a one-fight losing streak, although he had that no contest, which he did lose. And he stays at number nine in the rankings. For Royval, you know, he's faced all the top fighters. He beat France, lost to Moreno, um, and Pentoya. So I'd expect him to get the winner of maybe the Alex Perez Askar Askarov fight or take on Mathus Nicolau. And for Schnell, I think he's going to need to let some things shake out. You know, he had a couple of those canceled bouts, didn't get a, book, a one on the book, uh, but there's not a lack of fights, that's for sure. And this is where my parlay ended up getting busted. Um, 
as close as the Ivanov fight was, obviously I'm pro Ivanov. I had the parlay here. This was a damn close fight too. And it was one of those ones. It's like, how do you really judge it? But Macy Shiasan with a split decision victory over Norman Dumont. And that was just a classic Macy fight, man. An ugly victory. She put Norma against the cage, looked to take her down, and really didn't do anything but lean on her. Uh, she was in control. But besides hitting, besides putting her up on the cage and just knee in Norma's knee, you could see how red it was. Those were the only shots she was doing. She wasn't even trying to throw punches. So it's like, okay, well, she's in control of the fight. Every time that they're not on the cage, Norma's piecing her up. I've been landing big combos. You can see Macy just taking them, looking to grab a leg, looking to get to the to the cage. So it's like, well, how how, how do you judge that? You know, Macy's a control. That makes sense. Norma didn't get to land a lot of shots, but when she did, she you know she pieced it up. So like, I agree with it, but you could have easily gave it to Norma. But it's just like those are one of the weird scenarios. I think we had one last week on episode eighty one. We talked about. Where someone wins the whole round, gets knocked down at the end of the round. How do you the Rob fought fight the the Cheeto fight? Like, how do you technically judge that? Do you just go off? Well, if I were to say who won the fight, this is the person. Like, I don't know. They're they're just hard ones to judge. It was a weird fight. It was basically just Macy leaning on Norma and knee in her knee. Statistically, I mean, this gives you a good example. Macy landed a hundred and thirty one total strikes, thirty two significant. What are those 32s? Like she cocked her knee back further and kneed it harder. But I, I mean, she was just basically, it's like the, the fucking top of the foot stomp. She's just doing that the whole fight. Um, no, you know, I like Macy since the ultimate fighter I've rooted for her, but you got to at least throw something, do something damaging. You know what I mean? Um, she did have six takedowns and 12 attempts. So 50% and Norma had 96 total strikes with 38 of those being significant. Macy now is on a, a new winning streak, and Norma has her three-fight winning streak come to an end. What's next for these ladies? I'd love to see Macy take on Penny Kianzad. Penny's not going to let you do that. Or Sarah McMahon, who had an impressive win recently. While Norma, I think, should take on Julia Avila. I'm sure she'll bounce back. But then the main card started with some chaos, figuratively, we had Randy Brown with a split decision over Chaos Williams. And what an amazing fight to start the main card. I thought this was setting the tone. Um, but the card turned out to be underwhelming. You know, we'll die further. But the fight was nonstop action by both fighters. I'm surprised there was no bonus for this fight, honestly. I, th I thought, you know, both of these fighters deserved it. And this fight could have easily gone Chaos's way. Uh, but I'm not mad about the, de the the decision. I thought Randy did land probably a higher volume of crisper strikes um, and came on, uh, you know, very hard in the third round. But it very easily could have been uh, Chaos's fight as well. Statistically, Randy landed 103 total and 93 of those significant compared to Chaos's 96 total and 75 significant strikes with a knockdown. So Randy is now on a three-fight winning streak while Chaos has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. And uh, what's next? Well, I'd love to see Randy take on Gunnar Nelson. Boy, would that be fun. And Chaos, he could fight Jake Matthews. Uh, but I was impressed. You know, this is a big upstep for the 28-year-old Chaos. He's still young. Another prove-it fight for Randy. 
Both fighters showed out. I thought they deserved a performance, and it was pretty damn close the whole way. I thought Chaos was more of the aggressor. And then we just had the old boys back at it. We had OSP with a split decision over Mauricio Rua. Pretty snoozy of a fight. Um, OSP was just landing light kicks on Shogun. I mean, some of them, he was barely fucking tapping Shogun. It's like, you know, how do you score that too? Um, just to keep him at range. You know, Shogun's a lot smaller. He, he, he really couldn't break into OSP's range throughout the fight. He'd have a couple, like, you know, those Toro combos where the, the smaller guy puts his head down, tries to just get into the... You know, if you're going to hit me, cool. I'm trying to get in there, too. Um, statistically, OSP landed 62 total and significant strikes compared to Shogun's 54 total and significant. And OSP starts a new winning streak after his two-fight losing streak. One of those was at heavyweight, one at lightweight. Light heavyweight. I'd assume he goes back to heavyweight because he's looking pretty fucking big here, but who knows? You know, this could have just been for the rematch. I'm not too sure, uh, but he's getting older as well. And he hasn't won since uh, September of 2020, so, uh, you know, nice nice to have a dub. Shogun is now on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since July of 2020. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think he said he wants two more fights too, so one more fight. I have no idea who they'll give him. If I were to guess, maybe Carl Robinson or Kennedy and Shukwu. And for OSP, how about Devin Clark? That would be fun. Depending on where he fights, though, you know, I have no idea. And then the performance of the night. Michael Chandler with a second round knockout over Tony Ferguson. And this fight basically panned out how you would expect. You know, I thought Tony did have more moments than I would have given him credit for. You know, he 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 landed some big shots on Chandler. They're like, oh, shit. Like, if, if Tony got a finisher, like, God, my brain would just be like, what the fuck? Because um, I do think his chin's gone. He's just, you know, he's... He impressed me there. He still has some in the tank, though, I think. Um, but Chandler hung in there. You know, he's, he's taken some shots in his, his last few fights. But the front kick that he landed was one of the most vicious kicks I've ever seen. The image of Chandler doing the backflip and Tony just laying flat on the canvas. I mean, that's just some shit, man. That's some history right there. And what a fucking start to his UFC career for Chandler. Although he's taken some L's. Whew, that was a that was a show. You, you have to watch this guy fight. You know, same with with Tony. He's been that way his whole his whole career. It was a pretty similar photo finish to what Cheeto did to Frankie Edgar. That front kick just makes her face smushed, and it looks <coughs> it looks pretty terrible. I couldn't imagine getting knocked out like that and looking at that that photo of myself. Um, but what a promo! You know, you know, Michael's firing them all the way. He's like, "Oh, fucking give me." My, Make me rich and give me Connor or give me a title fight, a rematch of Charles. I don't think he'll get either, probably, to be honest. But, uh, you know, he's trying. He, you know, he knows he's got a short span. That's why he's taking these fights. And he's looking to get the most out of it. And I, I love him for that. Statistically, Chandler landed 43 total and 27 significant strikes with a takedown and knockdown compared to Tony's 27 total and 20 significant. Chandler is now on a winning streak, starting a winning streak after two losses. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC since coming from Bellator, and he stays at number five in the rankings. While Tony extends his losing streak to four, he hasn't won since June of 2019, and he moves down three spots to number 10. So what's next? How about Chandler McGregor? You know, that would be box office. Must fucking see. Um, so I'm all for it. Do I think that happens? Probably not. 
especially because they're saying Connor is not probably going to fight till the start of next year. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Poirier. Uh, you know, he says he doesn't want to. He's got beef with them because he doesn't credit them, whatever. Um, but the UFC brass might just say, suck it. And everyone's called this, but, you know, the Tony versus Dan Hooker, both guys on slides, both guys with potential, both high-level fighters. That makes sense to me and is a ton of fun. So make it fucking happen. And then how about this fucking snooze fest? Carla Esparza with a split decision victory over Rose Namajunas. And much like, you know, I expected the Tony fight to go that way. I did not expect this to be that, that way. Um, I thought it would be closer than a lot of people gave Carla credit for. But I didn't think they wouldn't do shit. Um, you know, Rose is a cold-blooded cold killer. And I understand she didn't want to get baited into Sparza's takedowns, but like, sheesh, we got to do something here. I mean, I would have thought she would have thrown some more combos, been a bit more aggressive, especially championship rounds, rounds four and five, which in round five she did. Uh, but, you know, take some in and outs. Do a little bit of something. Same with Carla. Like, how, how could I don't really get how they could grant Carla, who's not the title holder, the title. I don't know if I really agree with the decision. At the same time, though, I believe that Carla didn't do anything to deserve the belt. It was just worst case scenario because of lack of strikes thrown. I think the flack on Rose on this fight, though, is super extra. People have gone a little too harsh. Um, they're roasting their corner and Pat Berry. You know, I'm not surprised about that. But both fighters have delivered their whole career. I mean, how many awesome fights has Rose been in? It's not like, you know, this is completely her fault. Sometimes it just works that way. I mean... Think about um, Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. What a fucking snooze fest that was, right? Um, Kimbo Slice versus Alexander, whatever. These two big buff guys, they don't do shit. I and mean, sometimes someone's got to engage or start the engagement. It just didn't happen. I kept waiting for it. It just didn't happen. So statistically, Rose landed 38 total and 27 significant with that takedown. Compared to Carla's 30 total and significant with two takedowns, very low volume. I'd have to really watch it back again. <clears throat> it just, how do you, if you're giving it to Carla, it's because she's controlling the middle of the octagon. But how much credit do you give that to a non-chap that's not landing any strikes either? That's going for takedowns and not getting them. So... I mean, neither girl really deserved the title. It is what it is. I assume that the winner of Waylay versus Joanna will get Carla. Rose will probably fight someone and get the winner of that. So she'll be right back in there. But uh, it's just a tough way to lose the belt. Uh, that'd make me sick. Well, Carla uh, extends her winning streak to six while Rose's three-fight winning streak comes to an end. She moves down to the number one contender. You know, I would like to see the rematch, uh, but the way the fight went, I doubt the UFC brass is going to do that. I imagine Carla takes the winner of Zhang Yoana, like I said, which could set up another Rose rematch anyways. But it's funny to think Rose's path with all the rematches that she's had. And then this, this happens. It's like you didn't really lose. Like she's worthy of a rematch. It's just it is what it is. But for Rose, if she doesn't get the rematch, how about Marina Rodriguez? She's earned a shot against a good fighter. That would that would be a lot more fun and would not be a snooze fest, I can guarantee it. Marina won't let that happen. Then the main event. Fucking Charles Oliveira. He has now earned the, the right for him not to be called Charlie Olives. 
which ever since Dan Hooker called them that, Dan Hooker's been down, Char Charlie Olives has been up. Dubronx. I'm just going to call him Dubronx because he's out there fucking people up. He gets a first-round submission over Justin Gaethje. And this is what just stuns me. Like, you know, Trevor Whitman, coach of the year. He comes in here with two fighters again. You think, you know, in my mind, I think they're both going to get victories. And the one reason Gaethje is where he's, you know, he's earned where he is is because he stopped just being chaos and reckless and just throwing shit with reckless abandonment. And guess what he did? He's throwing big loopy shots. And although some landed, those leg kicks at the beginning of the fight were vicious, boy. But is that the best strategy to beat Charles Oliveira? Do you really think they're just going to knock him out in the first round and go chaotic? I, I mean, come on. It's a five-round fight. I, I was just shocked that, that that's the way it played out. Maybe emotions, maybe something. You never know what's going on in their lives, personally, whatever. I was just shocked that that's what he wanted to do, honestly. And is that what he wanted to do? Was that the coach's game plan? That, that, that's, you know, that's always, uh, it would be great to know. But those leg kicks, man, like he came out with the, you know, Justin hits like a motherfucker. I was like, bam, that's going to pay dividends. Why would you do big leg kicks that just come in fucking crazy unless you literally think you're going to knock him out in the first round? Justin Poirier hasn't knocked him out. Michael Chandler hasn't knocked him out. Are you going, you know, like, I don't know. I, I was just shocked. But how about Charles? Fuck talking about Gaethje, man. He's been quite, he's on quite the resilient run. It's very impressive. As Tony Ferguson says, champ shit only. Dubronx champ shit only. Post-fight interview, I'm the champ. It's my name. You're chasing me, motherfuckers. And he deserves it. God damn, Charles Oliveira is a motherfucker. I always knew he was, but I thought he was missing that elite level striking. He gets knocked down. He gets back up. It don't fucking matter, man. Dubronx. Sheesh. Champ shit only. What a fucking beast Charles Oliveira is. Where's his weaknesses? I thought it could be a guy like Justin knocking him out because he's got the power. But you you, you got to get those leg kicks. You got to pick and choose your moments. You can't get in, uh, you know, into his guard. You make it last three, four. You know, maybe round four you start getting a little crazy with some loopy shots. Maybe round five, but round one? Statistically, Charles, it only took him 33 total and 30 significant strike strikes with the two submission attempts and a knockdown. Gaethje landed 21 total and significant with a knockdown as well. Charles is now on an 11 fight win streak. 11. Even though he doesn't own the title now, which is completely dumb. And everyone's like, oh my God, they stripped him. It's like, cool. Well, he's still going to fight for the opportunity to regain it technically. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Make weight. You know, the scales, it is what it is. Make weight. It's, it's a gentleman's rule. If I'm fighting you, you don't make weight, especially as a champion. Like, that's a slap in the face. I would assume that, that it's going to be Islam Makachev now. Or, unless you want to put Char Charles on the on the shelf for a while. Because if you do Islam Benil, technically they're the number one. That means when is Charles going to fight for the title? Summer? I mean, is he going to be okay with that? I doubt it. He'd probably rather have Conor McGregor come in and make a fucking big payday. You know what I mean? I hope that doesn't happen. So I hope it's Islam. Uh, Justin's back to the drawing board, and that's you know pretty tough for him. He's 33. He is in his prime. 
but he's been here before. He's gotten to the top of the mountain, fell down. Gotten to the top of the mountain, fell down. Can he get up to the top of the mountain again? We'll see, you see how bad he wants it. I think if, you know, if Islam does fight him, Justin versus Benil Dariush, that would be fucking fun. But uh, um, Gaethje does move down two spots to number three in the rankings. What a wild card, man. What a wild card. For a big, you know, with all the big names, the Cowboy fuck got removed, the Gaethje fight you know, didn't go very long, the Rose fight was terrible. There was some snooze fests, the OSP fight, you know. 276, my dirty 30, boy. It's going to... Bangers. We got bangers. But speaking of bangers, we have some this weekend. This Saturday, another fight night card and a deep one at that. It's a 4.30 uh, Pacific prelim start with a 7 p.m. main card. So just like a pay-per-view, basically. <clears throat> Fights that we won't break down. There's a flyweight matchup to Suro Tyra versus Carlos Candelario. And Davey Grant versus Luis Smoka. Decent little fight there. I'm familiar with both fighters, but we're not going to spend time on that. You know, that's not a fight I would really care about. I'm, on Saturday, I'm going skiing. I'm going skiing in May. A little, little spring skiing. It's been snowing a little bit, but it's just, you know, more of a party. First thing I'm doing is come back, watch the fights. If that fight's already gone, I'm not upset. You know what I mean? That, I'm not going to break it down for you guys because, you know, this is, this is where I am. But in the prelims, this fucking fight, whoo! We got Nick Maximov, 24 years old, with an 8-0 record, taking on Andre Petrosky, the 30-year-old fighter with a 7-2 record. And this is a fun fight to start the fights. A really fun fight. Maximov has looked great since coming to the UFC. And Petrosky, you know, he's been hyped up since being in the Ultimate Fighter. And, you know, he's a guy that I, I think's got some potential. Both fighters can wrestle. They both have bright futures in the UFC, I believe. So it's a big fight for their career. This could really set their tone. I mean, Maximov's last win was massive as well. This is uh, probably more of a moment for Andre. But Nick, he trains out of the Nick Diaz Academy. He's undefeated and 3-0 in the UFC. Two of his eight wins are via knockout and three via submission. He does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. And he's a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum. Petrosky is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He also comes from the LFA. He's two and zero in the UFC since losing the Ultimate Fight, losing to the Ultimate Fighter champion in Brian Battle. Four of his eight wins are via knockout and four via submission, all finishes. You know this is a tough one. I really do not know what to expect here. Petrosky's older. He's stout. Maximov has really, really impressed me. I did not think he'd win his last fight. Especially in that win versus Puna Healy Soriano. I mean, whew. I believe Puna is better than Andre. So I'm going to give the nod to Maximov here. I'm going to put him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Virna Karkara Jandy Roba. 33 years old with a 17 and three record taking on and the number 12 next to her name taking on Angela overkill Hill, 37 years old with a 13 and 11 record and the number 13 next to her name. Now this is another very close fight fighters that have very similar skill sets. And I'm actually surprised that this fight hasn't happened yet in their careers. When we look at it, Virna has a black belt in BJJ 
a green and white Prajeed in Muay Thai. She's an Invicta alum. 13 of her 17 wins are via submission. And she was 1-1 one one last year in 2021. Angela trains out of Alliance MMA. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. She has the most fights in strawweight division, the most losses in the division history. And she's on a two-fight losing streak, but has looked very good lately, in my opinion. She is one in four in her last five, though. Again, this is another fun fight that's happening early in the prelims. I believe both fighters are going to have high pace, as they do need victories here. I'm going with Angela, though. I just feel like she is fighting at a higher level, and I like her all-rounded ability versus Verna. I am not putting it on the parlay if I can avoid then we have Michael the Menace Johnson, 35 years old with a 20 and 17 record, taking on Alan Nuget Patrick, 38 years old with a 15 and 3 record. Now this fight is a fun matchup with both fighters desperately needing wins in my opinion. You know, Michael's a southpaw fighter. He trains out of Sanford MMA. He has a background in wrestling. He went to Merrimack Community College and was a top JUCO wrestler there. He's an Ultimate uh, Fighter alum and finalist. He had the 2017 Fight of the Year against Justin Gaethje. He's on a four-fight losing streak. He hasn't won since October of 2018. Eight of his 19 wins are via knockout, and nine of his 17 losses are via submission. Now, Allen trains out of the shoot box with Bronx. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak with a no contest in his last fight. He hasn't won since February of 2018, and two of his three losses are via knockout. Now, Michael Johnson is a tough, tough son of a bitch, and I believe he will find his way in this fight. It isn't going to be pretty, though, and could be emotional from the vets. A loss here for Allen could potentially you know, push a release or retirement. I am taking Michael, though. I'm putting him on my parlay. We market them down, and we get in that bread. Moving on. We have Vivian Vivi Arahu, 35 years old, with a 10-3 record and the number 8 next to her name, taking on Andrea KGB Lee, 33 years old, with a 13-5 record and the number 9 next to her name. This is a very fun ranked fight that we get to headline the prelims. You know, both fighters are in their primes. Wins here could, could set them up very well in the division. When we look at it, Vivian has a black belt in BJJ and a brown belt in Luder Livre. She's on a one-fight losing streak, and that was to Caitlin Chukagian. And she is 4-2 in the UFC. Andrea, she has backgrounds in Muay Thai, a BJJ brown belt, and a, a black belt in Kaiushin. She is an alum of Invicta and the LFA, where she was a champion in both promotions. She was a Golden Gloves and Kickboxing champion, and she's on a two-fight winning streak. Now, this is a very, very close fight that all three of these are, to be honest. But I like what I've seen from Andrea lately. I believe she's on her way up in this class. She's going to find a way. I will try to avoid this in the parlay. We'll see what happens. Moving on to the main card. I actually like those fights in the prelims just as much as majority of the main card. We're only breaking down three main card fights. 
We have Catlin, the blonde fi- fighter, Chukagian, 33 years old with a 17-4 and record and the number one next to her name, taking on Amanda Ribas, 28 years old with an 11-2 and record and the number nine next to her name. Now, Amanda, she's a highly touted fighter and prospect. She's still young, 28 years old. But this is a big test for her. You know, her last big test, she took on Marina Rodriguez, but failed at that level. So if she should, if she could get a win here, she's going to be right in title contention, clearly, you know, beating the number one contender. Catlin trains at a Renzo Gracie combat team. She has a brown belt in BJJ. She's on a very impressive three-fight winning streak. Two of her four losses are via knockout. And she has the most unanimous decisions in flyweight history with eight. Amanda trains out of American Top Team. She has black belts in BJJ and Judo. She's on a one-fight winning streak. She went 1-1 one and one in 2021 and went between strawweight and flyweight. Four of her 11 wins are via submission. And both of her losses are via knockout. I really like Rebus a lot, I do. She's contagiously a fun fighter. She's very skilled, but so is the blonde fighter. And I believe she's just going to have too much distance control and outstrike Rebus. I'm taking Chukagian. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Ryan Superman Span. 30 years old with a 21-7 and record. And the number 13 next to his name, taking on Jan the Hulk Kutalaba, 28 years old with a 16-6-1 record. Now, this is another big-time fight for both fighters, as Span has improved a ton lately. And is just now in his prime. Jan isn't even there yet. He's battled some high-level fighters. He's high, a high-paced fighter. It's going to be fun. Span, he's got a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak and it was 1-1 one and one in 2021. I thought he did look great in that loss against Anthony Smith, though. 11 of his 19 wins are via submission. And he does have a 4-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Jan has backgrounds in Sambo, Judo, Kickboxing, and Greco-Roman Wrestling. He is an Orthodox fighter. He trains out of the MMA factory. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's fought a gauntlet of fighters since 2016 and is only 28. It's very impressive. Six of his 15 losses are via knockout. To me, this fight comes down to Span's power. Superman Span. I think he's going to just find that landing spot. You know what I mean? Like, If he does, it's not going to bode well for Jan. I do think both fighters are guys you do not want to fuck with and will be a problem in this division. But I'm taking Span. I just you get those gut feelings sometimes when you're picking. You're an analyst. You got to go with your gut. It's, it's a it's a close fight. I'm taking Ryan. I'm putting him on that parlay, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we got Jan, the Polish power, Blakovich, 39 years old, still a bad motherfucker, 28 and nine. And the number one next to his name, taking on Alexander Rachik, 30 years old, with a 14-2 and record and the number three next to his name. What a main event this is going to be. When this got booked, I was fucking hyped. I've been wanting to see Rachik against that top-level talent in the division. 
And we're going to see him on full display in this fight. Jan, he's got a Muay Thai background. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak where he lost the title to Glover Teixeira. Alexander, he trains out of ATT. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak. And nine of his 14 wins are via knockout. I'd really like to think Rachik is ready and talented enough just entering his prime right here. But Jan is no fucking joke and proved that, proved that with the victory over Izzy and Dominic Reyes. I believe Jan is going to play with Rachik. He's going to take him down. He's going to use that wise methodology and that fight experience. I think he's going to grind it out and show Rachik what a five-round fight's all about. You know, Rachik hasn't fought in a five-round fight. He's 30 years old. He's got plenty of time to come back and win a title. I don't, I'm not saying that he's leveraging that, but like he'll be in a good spot. I just think Jan's at a high level right now. Although he lost it to Shara, he's looked really fucking good. I'm taking the Polish motherfucking power. I'm putting him on my parlay. We market him down and we get in that bread. Fights, fights. Oh, and more fights. So what's next? Next weekend. A really solid, not as deep as this one. This is a deep fight night card. Like, honestly, really deep. This is a solid fight night card next Saturday, headlined by Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira. It is a little bit earlier of a start. It'll be 4 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. I believe this weekend's card is on ESPN2 because ESPN showed in playoffs. But let's switch it up. We got some NBA action. The Kings hire Mike Brown as their future as their head coach. Robert Covington and the Clippers agree on a two-year, $24 million extension. I do like that fit on the Clippers, having Kawhi back. It's going to be an interesting team next year. Joel Embiid, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Smart back. Kyle Lowry gets re-injured, probably won't be back for a while. But Marcus Smart and Joel Embiid are back. Ben Simmons ends up getting back surgery, so he must not have been... A Faking all the back injuries, but he's getting back surgery. The Nets are praying that he plays basketball again. Dylan Brooks was suspended game one after a flagrant two. I've always said, I wish we had today's talent with the rules of the 90s. Was this a flagrant foul? Sure. He hit him on the head. Do I think Dylan Brooks purposely went down and hit him in the head to earn a suspension? I do not. I think this shit's getting out of control. Right When you look at slow-mo, it's like, hits him in the head. Sure, sometimes it looks bad. But when you're going full speed and trying to block someone, you're going to swipe that fucking ball. If your head's there and I hit it, you know, it is what it is. These fucking suspensions, these flagrant twos, it's getting out of control, man. You just can't even touch anybody. I hate it. How about this motherfucker, Nikola Jokic, winning back-to-back MVPs? I mean, golly. Do I think he deserved it? Absolutely. You know, some people think Joel Embiid did. This guy straight hooped all season. Last year, he averaged 26.4 points per game. He shot 38% from three. Rebounds. He averaged 10.8 rebounds, 8.3 assists. This year, his numbers went up overall. 27.1 points per game, 13.8 rebounds, 7.9 assists, so a little bit down on the assists. 
33% from three. So down on the threes, but his numbers went up. I mean, obviously, no Jamal Murray. You know, his numbers went up. Let's see what Joel had. Joel averaged 30 points a game, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. So he had a little bit higher scoring, but that was about it. He shot 37% from 3. Pretty high percentage from 3, but I'm not mad about it. Props to fucking Nikola Jokic. Bravo. Back to back. That is not easy, ladies and gentlemen. That is not an easy feat. We also had Monty Williams winning Coach of the Year. And that was announced that the Bucks will take on the Heat in Dubai in a preseason game next year. But let's talk where we are come playoff time. We had the episode filmed last Thursday. I put it out Friday. There was no games on Thursday. Tune in into Friday. We had Miami, Philly, the fucking mass Joel Embiid back. We had Dallas's first game in, in uh, Dallas. The Mavericks prevailed, and so did the Sixers. They're making it into series. The Sixers won pretty heavily, too. 99-79. to 79. They held Miami to 80 points, less than 80. It was all Jimmy Butler. He had 33-10 and 10 on 22 shots. The only other player in double digits was Tyler Hero with 14 on 15 shots. Kyle Lowry was over. He had a, a, a nice zero in his, uh, his return game. The Sixers were led by uh, Tyrese Maxey. He's been a great player down the stretch. 21 points on 11 shots. Uh, Danny Green had uh, 21 points on 9 shots. He was 7 of 9 from 3. Joel Embiid only needed to chip in 18 points, 11 rebounds on 36 minutes. Shocker there. That game shocked me. I was like, what the hell? Then Dallas, you know, I thought they potentially could lose 3-1, to one, maybe even a sweep. But they win big here to a healthy Suns team. They win 103 to 94, and they were led by Jalen Brunson. He is about to get fucking paid, man. 28 points on 21 shots. Luka had 26 on 25. Also had 13 rebounds, 9 assists. The Suns had all five players in double digits, but they were led by Jay motherfucking Crowder. Wish he was in Utah still. 19 and 7, even 5 assists. D-Book only had 18 on 13 shots. CP3, 12 points on 9 shots. No, it's like, hey, maybe most of these series are going to be fun, right? Well, going into Saturday, the Bucks win in Milwaukee 103-101 after splitting in Boston. And the Warriors win in Oakland 142-112, win by 30, 142 points. That's big in Oakland. Both teams are up 2-1. In the Grizzlies game, the Warriors were led by Steph Curry. 30 points on 14 shots. What a line. Jordan Poole with a nice 27 off the bench on 17 shots. Very efficient night for the Warriors. They shot 53% from three. 60, almost 3% from the field. The Warriors or the, the Grizzlies did not shoot at a clip like that. They shot 37% from three, which isn't terrible. 43% from the field. And this was all John Morant, 34-7 and seven on 21 shots. He did his thing, but it wasn't enough. He needed more scoring from his team. And the Bucks two-point victory, this was a fun one. Fun series overall. Giannis, 42-12-8 on 30 shots. Not bad, but he went one of six from three. Don't know if we really need to be shooting six threes. He's trying to get some Middleton buckets there. 
The Celtics were led by Jalen Brown, 27 and 12. Decent line, efficiency, 16 shots. Al Horford, 22 and 16 big boards. Uh, that was on 17 shots. He was four of seven from three. Al Horford, man, never should have got rid of him, but they didn't want to pay him. Moving into Sunday, second game in Dallas. They tie it up 111-101. Dallas was led by Luka Doncic again, even though it wasn't very efficient. 26-11 and 11 on 25 shots. He was one of 10 from three, and they still won. They shot 45% from three from a team. Uh, Finney Smith, 8 of 12. Bertans, 4 of 6. Big 3.9 for them. The Suns were led by Devin Booker, who had 35 and 7 efficiently on 22 shots, but the rest of the offense really didn't show up, so Dallas wins to tie it up 2 2. Philly wins again in Philly to tie it up 2 2. Now we got a series. Kyle Lowry gets re injured, only gets 6.7 assists. Jimmy Butler putting his team on the back. He had 40 points on 20 shots. And the Sixers had six players in double digits, all five starters. James Harden show out party, 31, 9, and 7 on 18 shots. He was 6 of 10 from 3. Joel Embiid with 24 and 11. Start making you wonder, you know, James Harden could play at that level like they you would expect. Philly's going to be tough. I'm still going Miami in my mind at this time. Starting the week on Monday, the Celtics beating the Bucks in Milwaukee, 116-108. Huge win for the Celtics. The Celtics were led by Jason Tatum and Al Horford. Big Al, 30 points on 14 shots, 8 rebounds. Tatum, 30 and 13 on 24 shots. The Bucks were led by Giannis, who had 34 and 18, but on 32 shots, he was 0 of 4 from 3. He's still shooting. Uh, but the rest of the Bucks' offense really didn't show up. Drew Holiday, 16 points, 9 assists on 22 shots. That's a tough one. The defensive on both teams really showing out. The Warriors beating the Grizz by three to take a 3-1 lead. It looks like the series is over. John Morant's out for the, for the playoffs. Jaron Jackson did his best. 21 points on 21 shots. 0 of 7 from three. That's brutal. The Warriors were led by Steph Curry, 32-8. Although on 25 shots and 4 of 14 from three. Then on Tuesday, we're back in Miami. Miami destroys the Sixers. Joel Embiid's butt hurt that he doesn't win the MVP or something, uh, but he only scores 17 points to lead the way for Philly. Miami had seven players in double digits. They were led by Jimmy Butler again, 23-9-6. Miami's in control. Then on Tuesday, we had the Suns win in Phoenix and regain the series lead 3-2. to 80 it was an ass whooping. The, the Mavs didn't shoot very well from three this time, 25%. Only 38% from the floor. Luka Doncic led the way 28-11 and 11 on 23 shots. And the Suns were led by Devin Booker, who had 38-7 and 7 on 20 shots. Nice line from D-Book. Huge win for the Suns. You can't lose that game. And last night, let's see if these series can get interesting. They do. The Grizz look great without John Morant. Everyone is shocked. They literally blow the doors off, of Memphis, or off the, the Warriors and can't miss a shot. They shoot 43.9% from the from the three-point line. Trey Jones, you know, he doesn't get a lot of minutes when Jaw's playing. He's four of seven to three. Desmond Bain, four of six from three. Jaron Jackson, four of six. A lot of these young players are going to be getting big, big paydays elsewhere. It'll be interesting to see where they go. 
but the Grizz were led by Trey Jones, Desmond Bain, and Jern Jackson, who all had 21 apiece. The Warriors were led by Klay Thompson, who had 19 points on 12 shots. A lot of bench minutes, though, in the blowout. I, I thought the, the Warriors would wrap it up right there. That's good if you're a Suns or a Mavericks fan. And then in the East, the Celtics are up the entire game. I believe they have like a 14-point lead in the fourth. I was watching this with a friend. You're like, holy shit, there's no way the Celtics are going to lose two in a row. And here we are. 110-107, the Bucks fight back. Don't know how they did, but they did. Uh, they ended up shooting 44% from three as well. Giannis, 40-11 and 11 on 27 shots. Drew Holiday, 24-8-8 and 8 on 24 shots. Amazing defense. Sometimes I wish... Uh, the, the Jazz would have got a little bit taller Drew Holiday. I love me some Mike Conley, but that defense is insane. But it also makes me think, what if Mike Conley was shooting 24 times a game? Right? What, what kind of numbers could he put up? The Celtics were led by Jason Tatum, who had 34 points on 29 shots. Jalen Brown chipped in with 26-8-6. Brutal, brutal loss. Milwaukee's back in control. The Celtics had an opening. They couldn't take advantage of it. You know, tonight I expect the Heat to close out the Sixers in Philly. They're up 3-2. I'd expect the Suns to close out the Mavericks in Dallas. The Suns are favored by two, and the Heat game just started. And then Friday, I would expect the Bucks to close it in Milwaukee and the Warriors to close it at home. It looks like we're heading to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA. Speaking of finals, speaking of playoffs, we had some action on the ice. And boy, did we have some action on the ice. We'll kick it right off where we left on Thursday. The Rangers smoking the Penguins 5-2 to to tying up the series. I mean, that, that's a brutal loss. There's some high-scoring games in hockey this year, but sheesh. Jake Gensel really doing his thing, though. He had, you know, he scored a goal in the first period to get up to three playoff goals. Sid the Kid with a, with a playoff goal, his first playoff goal. Pretty even shots. It was 40-41, to 41, uh, head, headlined by the Penguins, but good goalie play by the Rangers. They're feeling good tying the series after losing game one. I picked the Penguins in that series. Then we had the Panthers smoke the Capitals to even at 1-1. You can't lose game two at home after dropping the first one. Florida does outshoot uh, the Capitals by nine. Not a bunch of additional playoff goals there for uh, stacked goals, although it's only game two. My Avalanche win in overtime after blowing the doors off the Predators game one. A little sweaty here as they go into overtime, but they still find a way. It was a 2-1 game. Colorado had outshot Nashville by damn near 25 shots, but the goalie was hot as ever. I mean, hot as ever. But Nathan McKinnon scores. Kel McCarr with the overtime victory to get the victory at home. Um, Nathan McKinnon already with his third playoff goal. Kel McCarr with his second. What's this kid's name? He's a rookie. Let's see. I don't know. I can't find it. Either way, the, the goalie, the rookie goalie for Nashville, I was very impressed. He was he was stopping everything. Moving on, we had the Stars beat the Calgary Flames 2-0 to get a 1-1 lead. That's why you got a lot of hockey. Most of these are going 6-7, splitting at home. 
Um, Dallas or Calgary outshot Dallas by six, but it wasn't enough as they got blanked. Huge win for the Stars. I picked Calgary in that series. Heading into Friday, the Bruins beating Carolina four to two. This is to take a two-one lead. Pretty much even shots on goal. Vincent Trocheck got a second playoff goal, and Taylor Hall with a second playoff goal for Boston in the third on a power play. What a fun series this is going to be. The Toronto Maple Leafs taking the lead back 2-1, beating the Lightning 5-2 on Friday. Pretty much even shots on goal. David Camp for Toronto with a second playoff goal, and Ilya Mikheyev with a second playoff goal as well. The winner of this playing the Avalanche, the Wild uh, blow out the Blues 5-1 as they take a 2-1 series lead. Minnesota outshot St. Louis only by three. Kirill Kaprizov got his fourth playoff goal in the victory. And then we have the Oilers with an eight spot on the Kings. Eight to two, taking a two to one lead in LA. Sheesh, that's crazy. Um, they only had nine more goal or they had, the Kings had nine more shots on goal. And lost 8-2. to two. They lost by 6. That is insane. Evander Kane with his third playoff point and goal. Leandre Stolle with his third. Kane ends up getting his fourth. Um, Evander Kane ended up getting his fifth already thus far in the third period in this victory. He's hot. Then moving on Saturday, the Capitals smoking the Panthers 6-1. They take a 2-1 series lead. Has me... Little skeptical as I was picking the the Florida Panthers who looked dominant all season. Even shots on goal. TJ Oshie taking over. He gets a second playoff goal. And then my Avalanche beating the Predators. Game one in Nashville, seven to three. A boy, oh boy, did that feel good. And the script really set them up. They had 12 more shots on goal. A Tory Lenekin with the second playoff goal. McKinnon with his fourth. That man nasty. Chip in Gabriel Landeskog for his second and third in the second period. And then Devin Towes with his uh, second playoff goal in the third period. All abs up 3-0. The Penguins beating the Rangers to take a 2-1 series lead in Pittsburgh. This was a great game. Uh, pretty much even shots on goal. It's just been a great series. Frank uh, Catrano and Artur Artemi Panarin with their second playoff goals in the second period. Andrew Kopp with his third. And then Jake Gensel with his fourth playoff goal. And Jeff Carter with his second and the third for the Penguins. Um, hot, hot, hot second period made it interesting. Tied up 4-4. But the Penguins finished it up um, in the third. And then the Stars beating Calgary 4-2 as they take a 2-1 lead in Dallas. Calgary had 11 more shots on goal, but it wasn't enough. Joel Pavelski with a second playoff goal and Elias Lindholm for the uh, for Calgary, both with their second playoff goals in the second. And then Joel Pavelski adds another one in the third for his third playoff goal. Heading into Sunday, we had the Bruins beat the Hurricanes 5-2. The series is tied 2-2. Boy, what a series this is going to be. Pretty much even uh, shots on goal. Patrice Bergeron with his third playoff goal in the first period. Brad Marchand with his second and third in the third as Boston takes a victory. Their stars have showed up to play. 
St. Louis isn't going away. They take a 2-2 series lead, 5-2 victory here um, in St. Louis. Pretty much even shots on goal. Kirill Kaprizov stays hot with his five, fifth playoff goal in the second. David Perron gets his fourth, and Jordan Kyrow for the Blues with his third in the second. David Perron keeps going in the third for his fifth playoff goal on assists. And then Ryan O'Reilly with his third playoff goal in the third on a power play. The high-scoring games. Tampa Bay beats Toronto to even up the series 2-2 on Sunday. Even shots on goal in the game. Corey Perry with his second playoff goal in the power play in the second. And Ross Colton with his second as well. And then William Nylander uh, with his second playoff goal. And Jake Muzzin for Toronto with the second playoff goal in the third. Andrej Palat with the second playoff goal in the third. And Ross Colton with his third playoff goal in the third for the Leafs. And then the Kings fire back 4-0 in L.A. to beat the Oilers and tie, tie up the series 2-2. L.A. had 15 more shots on goal than it paid off as Trevor Moore and Carl Grundstrom score their second playoff goals for the Kings. I thought the Kings would get worked in that series. Head into Monday, an overtime affair. Florida scraps together a win to tie up the series. It's a huge win for them in on the road. Uh, they out outshot um, Washington by 16. TJ Oshie stays hot with a power period goal to lead the first. And then... Eveni Kunsanov with a second playoff goal in the third for the Washington Capitals. But Carter Varhej gets a second playoff goal in overtime for the victory. Penguins taking control to go up 3-2 in the series as they beat the Rangers 7-2, or 3-1, excuse me, in the series. They outshoot the Rangers by 17. Sid the Kid gets a power play goal in the first. Jake Gensel scores his fifth playoff score or goal in the second. Um, Denton Hainan and Jeff Carter with their second and third. And then Evgeny Malkin with his second playoff goal in the third period for the Penguins. The Penguins cruising against New York. Calgary evens up the series 2-2. These series are crazy. That's why you got to talk about hockey. That's why you love hockey. Uh, The Calgary wins 4-1. They outshoot the Dallas by 20 on the game. Uh, Elias Lindholm with his third playoff goal in the third as Calgary takes the victory. And then my avalanche get the broom out. They get the broom out. They get the broom out. And they sweep the the Predators. They're coming into the second round hot with all these even series. Uh, They're going to get a couple days of rest. They barely outshoot Nashville in this game. Uh, Yaakov Trinan, you know, tries with the second and third playoff goals in the second and third period. Kel McCarr gets his third goal in the second period. David Taos with his third in the third. Uh, Nushkin with his second in the third. And Nathan McKinnon with an empty goal power play score for his fifth playoff goal. Go, Avs, go. So then we head to Tuesday. The Avs series is done. Um, Carolina takes a 3-2 lead against the Bruins at home, 5-1. They outshoot Boston by only four. Seth Jarvis gets his second and third playoff goals, one via power play, and Vincent Trocek gets his third playoff goal and the third for Carolina. Toronto takes a 3-2 lead at home, 4-3 over the Lightning. This was a great game. Uh, Tampa Bay outshoots Toronto by 10, although they lose. Um, 
William Nylander gets his third playoff goal, and so does Austin Matthews with his third playoff goal in the third for the Leafs in victory. Minnesota can't do what the other teams did and win at home. The Blues take the road victory 5-2 to go up 3-2 in the series. There was an even amount of shots in this game, but Kaprizov stays hot. He gets his sixth playoff goal in the fourth, and or sixth playoff goal and seventh via power play in the first period. Ryan O'Reilly gets his fourth in the first, and then Vladimir Tarasenko gets three goals, finishes with the hat trick to steal the road game in the third period. Have a day, sir. What a game. And then an overtime affair as the Kings still won on the road, just like the Blues do, 5-4. to four. Um, The Kings outshot Edmonton by damn near 20. Philip Denault had his third playoff goal in the third for the Kings. Leon Dracetil gets his fourth and fifth playoff goals in the third to force overtime, but Adrian Kemp gets the overtime goal for the Kings. Huge win for them. The Rangers stay alive to make a 3-2 series because, of course, it's hockey. 5-3, um, very even shot game. Jake Gensel scores again with the, his sixth playoff goal in the first, seventh in the seventh, or seventh in the second. Adam Fox gets his third in the second. Uh, as the Rangers win. The Panthers take the lead 3-2 at home over the Capitals. 5-3 was the score. Pretty even shots on goal. TJ Oshie keeps cruising. Gets his fourth playoff goal in the first. Fifth in the second. Uh, Carter Vanahey gets his fourth playoff goal in the second for Florida. And fifth in the third to take the victory for the Panthers. The one seed. <clears throat> then Calgary steals. Uh, or does it steal? Stills back the lead of the, the, the first round at home, 3-1. to one. They outshoot Dallas by 11. And Michael Backlund and Trevor Loris get their second playoff goals in the third for Calgary. Which sets us up for today. The Bruins looking to close out Carolina. Or Carolina looking to close out the Bruins on the road on TNT. The uh, defending champ Tampa Bay Lightning hosts the... Um, Maple Leafs, as they're down 3-2 in the series, try to force Game 7. The Blues try to take the um, series from the Wild up 3-2 at home. And then the Kings are at home trying to finish the series as well. We'll see how many of them go seven games. It's getting interesting. We're getting some champions. Champ shit only, Tony Ferguson says. Charles Oliver with the champ shit. These teams trying to be champions. It's champ season only. Speaking of champions, it's the final week of Supercross. What a fun affair it was in Salt Lake City. Jet Lawrence wrecks in the heat race, though, so he does not race in the East-West Showdown, which you got to love seeing him and Hunter do their thing. But he had already won the point championship for the East. And in the West, Christian Craig only needing to finish 14th or better uh, to win the West Championship and, and get his first win. In the 250, Nate Thrasher steals the show with a first-place finish. Hunter Lawrence couldn't catch him with a second-place finish. Pierce Brown gets the podium. RJ Hampshire, fourth. Joe Shimoda, fifth. Austin Forkner, sixth. Michael Moseman, seventh. And Christian Craig finished eighth, well above 14 for the championship. Um, points leaders, uh, it goes Jet, number one. RJ Hampshire, two. Pierce Brown, three in the east. In the west, Christian Craig, one. Hunter Lawrence, second. Michael Moseman, third. Joe Shimoda, a guy that I had picked for a potential outside the Lawrence brothers with the fourth place finish. 
The 450, not quite as much drama as the championship has already won, and Eli Tomac does not race. But Jason Anderson is going for his third win in a row and fourth win of the season. Um, there's also a third-place finish battle between Malcolm Stewart and Justin Barsha for third in the season standings, as there's only a four-point four differential entering the race. And Justin Bray Brayton's last race before retirement, so there are some headlines in the 450. Justin Barsha, Malcolm Stewart battling, battling. Malcolm Stewart passes him. Justin Barsha goes with a controversial smash into Malcolm with about 10 minutes left in the main. Malcolm Stewart comes all the way back. The, the, the crowd is cheering him on. He almost gets to catch Barsha again, but doesn't. But Barsha gets docked 10 points for rough riding. So this puts the standings as, uh, well, the results of the race. Anderson first, Chase Sexton staying hot second, Justin Barsha third, Malcolm Stewart fourth, Marvin Muscan short of a podium for, for the first time in a while at fifth, Cooper Webb sixth, and Justin Brayton in retirement seventh. Points leaders, Tomac with the victory, Anderson second, Stewart third on a podium. What a season for Mr. Stewart. Excited to see him level up again next year. Marvin Muscan finally healthy and cruising in fourth. Barsha with the fifth place finish after the point dock. Chase Sexton sixth and Cooper Webb seventh. Tough year for the defending champion. If you are a Supercross fan, the outdoor season starts May 28th. Uh, I'm hoping Ken Roxon gets back into action. I'm a little parched, you know, got to hydrate. Wrapping up the show with MLB and NFL. The MLB return announces they're going to return to London next year for, for I think, a five-year deal. Mike Trout, ladies and gentlemen, he passes Tim Salmon for the most home runs in Angel history. This man, it's literally going to be an MVP showdown between Otani, between Mike Trout, because he mashes baseballs. Uh, can't wait to see him here in Seattle. The Angels also have a no-hitter. Reed Detmers somehow gets the job done, gives up a single uh, to Jared Walsh, but Jared Walsh gets docked down for the error, so the single goes away. He finishes a no-hitter, I think a walk shy of a perfect game. What a fucking show. What a bright future for the young Reed Detmers. Angels are cruising. Elsewhere in the MLB, Christian Yelich hits for the cycle for the third time in his career. What a feat for Mr. Yelich and the Red Hawks. Red Hot Brewers. When we look at last weekend series, uh, the Battle of the Sox, the White Sox sweep the Red Sox. Tough loss for the uh, Red Sox. They're not looking very good in the standings right now. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. We had the Mets beat the Phillies 2-1 in a great Annalise battle. The Padres beating the Marlins 2-1. The Marlins have been streaking a little bit. The Braves beating the Brewers 2-1, big, big dogs in the NL. The Giants beat the Cardinals 2-1 of two top teams in the NL as well. And then the Guardians beat the Blue Jays 2-1. The Blue Jays are 3-7 in their last 10. They're slumping a little bit. Vlad, Vlad Guerrero slumps, the Blue Jays slump. This weekend in store, we have some decent series. We have Brewers, Marlins in the NL. We have... Mets, Mariners, which will be fun. Blue Jays, Rays, two AL top teams. Padres, Braves, fun, fun NL series. They have the Apple TV Plus um, Friday night baseball game. We have Twins versus Guardians and two mid-level AL teams. White Sox, Yankees, two high-level AL teams. 
Although the White Sox, oh, the White Sox are eight and two in their last ten. They're, they're picking it back up. Giants Cardinals, another series that had just happened this weekend, and Phillies Dodgers for big time NL um, representation. In the standings, the Yankees are four games ahead of the Blue J- or the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East, creating some separation. The Twins are two games ahead of the White Sox. That'll be a fun battle. And the, the Guardians are right there, two and a half games back. The Astros and Angels are atop the AL West, quite a ways ahead of the rest of the pack. The Mariners have been slumping two and eight in their last 10. The Mets clearly ahead of the NL East, but the Braves, Marlins, and Phillies are all tied up, wrapped up in the middle, just under 500. The Brewers are two and a half games against the Cardinals in the NL Central. The Dodgers leading the NL West a game and a half ahead of the Padres and two games ahead of the very good San Francisco Giants. But get this, the Diamondbacks are two games above 500, four and a half back. The Colorado Rockies, five back over 500. Who would have thunk it? That's why you play the game. In NFL news, not a lot happening. The schedule is going to be released in about 30 minutes. I'm excited as I'm planning to go to Indianapolis to see the Steelers play. My boy, Kenny Pickett, hopefully. But the Chargers signed Kyle Van Noy. That's a great signing by him. There's some free agents that should be getting signed, you know, of late now that the draft has happened. The Giants release James Bradbury. If I'm the Steelers, I am picking up a phone and making some calls. It's a big-time corner hit in free agency. Sonny Michelle signing with the Dolphins. And then the Ravens signing Mike Davis. It seems like a match made in heaven. But other than that, Tom Brady to join Fox as an analyst when he retires, which I would assume would be next year. I don't really know why he came back. It is a Tom Brady thing. Um, But he's getting a 10-year, $375 million deal. Are you kidding me? He's going to make way more money as a broadcaster than he ever will as a Patriot quarterback. Other than that, listen to this shit. If you're a sports fan like myself, we talk about free agency and all these people moving teams. How about the broadcaster free agency? If you're tuning into the NFL this year on CBS, you'll still have Jim Nance and Tony Romo. On Fox, you will have Kevin Burkhart and Tom Brady once he's done playing. On NBC, you'll have Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth. On ESPN, you will have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And then on Amazon, you'll have Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. Above that, it was just announced today that Maria Taylor is taking over the studio host for Mike Trico since he will be in the booth with Chris Collinsworth. What what the money these people are making, it's it's pretty crazy. Other hitters, Arizona State lands Emory Jones, the former Florida quarterback. That seems like a good fit. And the number one quarterback of 2024, Dylan Rayola picks Ohio State. Go Buckeyes, I guess, huh? Well, other than that. Another showdown. More fights, more fights. We got playoff action. Shit is going down. But don't forget to check out the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, Fueled Supplements. If you're trying to, you know, diet, you're trying to bulk up, you're trying to just fucking feel good, look good, feel good, do good, fueledsupplements.com. Save some money. Use the promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. We'll see you guys next week.